Alright guys, here we are. Third episode of the Ghost of Text podcast. I'm your host, Gabe Casper. Hope you guys are having a good week. And uh, today, we're going to be going over the history of the Grindhouse Theaters and talking about the exploitation films that were played there. Now, I think some people have heard of Grind, of at least the term Grindhouse, um, at least at one point when talking about movies, especially older action movies or older horror movies, but people don't normally know what that word necessarily means or what those theaters were or what the history of exploitation cinema is. And I, I've always found it super interesting, and that's why I wanted to do such an, an episode, just diving into a, a whole series of movies instead of just one movie in particular. Now, as we're talking about the history of this, uh, we're going to go back in time through to the 1960s. And uh, during that era, a lot of cities were experiencing like an urban decline where there was uh, economic uh downward spirals in some cities or there were population declines in some cities and for it was a lot of for a lot of uh multiple reasons whether it be social or economic but uh, a lot of the theories that were going around for this was that the main reason for that decline was caused by white flight which was this uh incident where when different races were being more incorporated into these urban cities the the white inhabitants of those cities would decide to just pack up and leave into more um, majoritively white cities just to leave it alone. And then those would cause more declines in those cities and make them just go down since there was a huge loss of people. And there would be um, mostly minority cities that would become more... I don't know. I it just there was just a, a an urban downcline. Well, there's major cities that have minorities mostly, and as these cities declined, so did the movie theaters that were going out of business or they were making way less money than they should have than they had made before. And as this was going on, they the theaters needed to find out ways to make more money or to get more people inside their theaters in order to keep the businesses afloat. And that's where exploitation movies came into play, because exploitation movies were made super, super cheap. That's why at the time they were considered cheap thrills. So these movies were made really, really cheap, and then these theaters would take those movies, and they'd put them out in the, into the public in very, very cheap ticket prices. And then when people would come in to pay those cheap ticket prices, they, you could also buy um, tickets for double features, where you could go and see two movies at the same time, or sometimes even triple features. So people would come in, pay the cheap ticket price, and they would just keep grinding out all of these movies uh, to the public. And then those theaters became later became known as grindhouses. And uh, the term grindhouse came from the burlesque clubs that were in the cities uh, that were also declining. So a lot of theaters would either take up burlesque clubs, or a lot of theaters were very close to burlesque clubs, and had very similar traits, and those clubs were considered uh, bump and grind clubs. And so, the since they were so similar, or they were so close, the theaters became known as grindhouses. Alright, now that we've talked about the grindhouse theaters themselves and how they came to be, let's dig into the exploitation films that were played in those theaters. 
Now, online, the definition of an exploitation film is a film intended to attract an audience by means of its sensationalist or controversial content. And I, for the most part, I agree with that definition. I guess a wider way I would describe it is that these are films that not really just attract an audience by the means of that sensationalist or controversial content, but the it's made by people that were so, I guess, obsessed with that sort of content itself itself despite its audience so it had this element to them where they would just exploit anything they could i mean i seriously mean anything they could in these movies to get cheap thrills cheap action cheap gore and they all shared a lot of the similar traits they would be very cheaply made they would um they would almost never have anybody really famous in these again because they didn't have budgets for them. They'd be churned out really fast and they would be considered uh, controversial because of the kind of material that was going to be put out there. So for example, you had something like car exploitation that would be emphasizing car chases or you had gore exploitation, which would be emphasizing blood and violence. And there was sex exploitation that would expose a lot of nudity or sexuality throughout them, which kind of went further on into women in cage movies like Big Dollhouse, where they would just emphasize a bunch of women in prisons and women in other areas. And they would turn it around and turn it into some sort of action sort of idea and then they had like beast exploitation so there'd be like a lot of werewolf movies there'd be a lot of vampire movies that were just thrown out and churned out and then probably in my opinion one of the most controversial ones was uh the cannibal exploitation where they had lots and lots of cannibal movies uh which would blend in with a lot of other subgenres. So sexploitation would go into the cannibal aspect. There would also be a lot of gore in it, obviously. But a lot of really, really controversials came out of that one, especially uh, a movie called The Cannibal Holocaust. I, I'm probably going to have to do a separate episode on Cannibal Holocaust because that movie... Whoo, boy, man, that movie just fucks with your head. But... Other examples is there's also like black exploitation. Since a lot of these theaters were in urban areas, they would emphasize a lot of like um, black culture, black icons into movies that were designed for, I guess, black entertainment. And then definitely another one that you wouldn't believe is Nazi exploitation. They even had Nazi exploitation in these movies. Like legit, one of the examples is a movie called Ilsa, She Wolf of the SS. A fucking... I, I can't make this shit up. They exploited anything they could have. Like, just imagine anything in your head that would have been weird and fucked up. They could have made a movie out of that. Like, if you were thinking of, like, um... Um... Like, a, a Nazi woman getting smothered by a werewolf with huge tits right before they get run over by a fast car that's simultaneously shooting machine guns in the air. Boom! That's a movie. Boom. Easy ticket price. Boom. They just made money. It's... It's... It's insane what kind of movies they were making. And the thing about these movies is, like, they turned out so many that there's very rarely, like, good entertaining ones. Like, I, I've seen a lot of these movies, but out of every ten Grindhouse movies you watch, you're going to find maybe one that's, like, legit entertaining and you would, like, find it fun to watch. They'll find maybe one or two more that are, like, so bad that they're good. Like, they're so horrible, it's ironically funny. And then the rest are complete dog shit and not even worth your time watching. So, that's what's so weird about these, especially if you're interested in watching these. The, I would recommend researching some instead of just diving right in because 
you're going to hit a wall of so many horrible movies before you get to something good. And uh, I never found uh, really some of the subgenres I just couldn't find anything that interesting out of. Like the Nazi exploitation, I just couldn't understand that sort of stuff. I I think I sat to like the first 15 minutes of Elsa, She-Wolf of the SS, and I was like, mm, I'm out. It's, uh, they were insane. But another interesting thing about these movies is, um, the way they were presented in theaters to people, because at the time when movies were traveling around to different theaters, it wasn't the same as the way we see movies now, which is they would just be wide release. They'd be digital and we'd watch them. So these movies were filmed on film reels. And the thing about them is that since these movies were so cheaply made and so really just not cared for, um, when these film reels of these Grindhouse movies would go from Grindhouse to Grindhouse to Grindhouse, the people traveling those theaters when they're on tour um, did not take care of these films, the, the film reels themselves. So over time, these films just got more like uh, destroyed or more grady or uh, they would have a lot of dust covered on them. And then there'd be um, tape distortions where there'd be clips and audio. Sometimes the, the film itself would burn in the projector. There would be color distortions or uh, there'd be scratches on the film. So it would create all of this a grimy element to it, which is why like a lot of people when they do like modern jokes at Grindhouse or modern takes on Grindhouse, they have like different like green or purple colors that are going into it or they have like intentional scratches and all this stuff that goes on when you see like old films because that was just another staple for their style. You just saw movies that were so deteriorated and it's, it's weird. It's again, it's like a so bad, it's good thing because when you see movies like that, that are super damaged, it's just got this cool, you know, unique vibe to it that you really don't get to see in other movies. Plus I think for me, what I found so cool about the idea of an exploitation film was that, they own the fact that they're just making a cheap thrill. They just own the fact that they're making something that's just, you're going straight for the action, straight for the gore, straight to the sex. It's going into all of this stuff without trying to pretend like it's something it's not. You know, like a lot of people, like for example, a lot of people would go to a Fast and Furious movie just to watch the car races, which is totally cool. And a lot of the directors make those movies knowing it's just a movie about car races. But when they advertise, <clears throat> when they advertise those movies, they just present ads where they're like, okay, the news story is changing. Let's follow the characters as it's going along. And everybody pretty much thinks it's bullshit. I don't think most people care about those characters. They're there to see the cars. So when you see a trailer for a Grindhouse movie, they'll have like the classic narrator voice that's like, come and see this uh, double feature of great classics with all kinds of violence, gore, sex, all the things you want to see. And they really just, they threw it all out there. And you don't really see that a lot in modern movies. I mean, I'll get into that later. There's some modern examples of what we would consider a Grindhouse flick. But it's so cool that the idea of like a movie that's so focused on the action and all these elements of like little teeny elements that most people come to see in a movie are emphasized in their, in their posters and in their, in their trailers and in their music. So it's, it's so cool to see that they're just, honestly, I think it was just like the best thing to describe it is just fuck it. That's how they were. They're just like, fuck it. We'll do it. And I've, and I've seen like little mini documentaries from directors of those films. And a lot of the times when they were working on it, they'd be like, well, was the camera on? Did they get everything they needed to? They said the lines. Okay. All right, keep going. 
I mean, most of the times when it came to like dialogue or any of these other things, they didn't give a crap. They just, they just waited until the lines were said, boom, cut it, move on to the next scene. Only time they would really take a second take on something would be like, oh, I guess that guy's head didn't explode, right? All right, let's get another head in there, folks. And man, they're so fascinating. But what's also cool about it is a lot of famous directors or famous writers are pretty in have some good roots from this era of filmmaking. Uh, for instance, um, Ivan Reitman, he was the director of Ghostbusters and Kindergarten Cop. That guy made a movie way, way back before he did those called Cannibal Girls. It was about three women, like three teenage women who were just straight cannibals. And it had like a young uh, Eugene Levy. If you guys have ever seen American Pie, he was the dad on American Pie. Eugene Levy was in that movie. And they were all young and just getting their starts and that and uh, Wes Craven got some of his fame before he was doing Nightmare on Elm Street or Scream or any of his other ones. He got pretty much his start in that era by making what a Grindhouse movie called Last House on the Left, which got a reboot. I think it got two reboots. And a lot of movies, a lot of famous movies came out of that era. Like we had, if it wasn't for the Grindhouse, we wouldn't have had movies like Night of the Living Dead. We wouldn't have had movies like The Hills Have Eyes. We wouldn't have had movies like The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Is that spirit that people had of exploitation and going for the biggest scares and gore and all this other elements inspired directors of that time to carry it on forward as we evolved throughout cinema history. And, oop. I forgot to turn off my notifications. My bad. Um, I forgot. And now I lost my train of thought. So it, it's just cool to think that what seemed like such a sleaze bag, like under the radar element of film history has impacted and changed a lot of what we see as like classics these days. So like when a lot of people were talking about like slashers, because I've heard people say like, well, the slashers aren't like what they used to be. Um, mainly because a lot of people feel like that slashers haven't gotten as far as they have before. And a lot of the, the furthest limits of slashers, as far as like the depiction of a slasher, like they're, you know, a disfigured face or like a loud noises or like screams they make or something were made from exploitation films that were like, let's just see how crazy and fucked up we can make this go. And in some of those cases, uh, it ended up for really, really good, scary content. And I think, in my opinion, that out of the Grindhouse era, the two most successful subgenres that were coming out of it were horror movies, especially slasher and monster movies, and action movies, especially the car races or martial arts films. And it's it's seen a lot in uh, movies that are considered classics now, and it helped people build, help people in that time build their careers for the future. Because Texas Chainsaw Massacre was what got everybody focused on Toby Hooper as a director, and Toby Hooper ended up later on directing uh, Salem's Lot, the Stephen King adaptation, and then later on after that, he ended up directing Poltergeist, which is another classic movie. And then Wes Craven, of course, like I said, Wes Craven moves on to do. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, and then he does Scream and other horror franchises. And uh, James Cameron. James Cameron was another one. He got his first uh, movie credit for working for, what was it? It was uh, Piranha 2. He did Piranha 2 during this era. And a few years after that, he did The Terminator. And after that, he was carrying on forward. It's just, it's crazy to think that all of these sleazebag films ended up being a huge impact on the on the future of movies. 
All right. Now that we've talked about the theaters themselves and the kinds of movies they were putting out, I'm sure some of you are thinking, well, um, how can I watch some of these gross and disgusting movies? Uh, which one should I watch, considering the majority of them are crap? And that comes to this last part, which is what took the longest or took the most amount of my time to get done because I had to watch and rewatch a lot of movies to compile all these lists. But uh, I got a good list of good exploitation films if you guys are interested in going out and watching them. So first list I got is um, exploitation films that caught my eye that were from its time, which means it's going to be like anywhere between the 60s all the way up to very early 80s. So one that I mentioned earlier was Big Dollhouse. That was a pretty that was a pretty interesting and fun movie. I mean, for the most part, it's a so bad it's good movie because it's ridiculous and weird. But it's one of those like uh, women in cage movies, so it's got this weird aspect to it. But at the end, there's this cool prison break scene, and it's got really cool action to it. So the ending is is an unironic amount of fun, but through the other stuff, it's just all weird and trying to keep up with it. And then. Uh, Two of my favorite black exploitation movies that are really fun to watch are uh, Superfly, which they did do a reboot in 2018 for Superfly. I didn't get the chance to see it just because I didn't know how they were gonna, you know, update it. But that was a uh, that was a popular black exploitation film in its day, which is also really good. And Coffee is another fun one to watch. That was one of the movies that boosted Pam Greer's career in this genre as she carried along and Pam Greer if you're a Quentin Tarantino fan she was uh the main character she played the main character in Jackie Brown and mainly part of her getting casted in Jackie Brown is because she was very popular with black exploitation cinema during this era and then i also said earlier Texas Chainsaw Massacre one of my favorite horror movies of all time one of my favorite slasher movies too it's it's so gruesome and intense and scary and also what i found so cool about that movie is that most horror movies try to bring out the the scary elements or the 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 intensity during night and a lot of the this movie takes place during the day so it's it's a really unique way to see it all happen during the day and all the events of the movie feel so random and just by chance and these people just happen to walk into what's going on in the in Texas here but really good movie and it was again it was a movie that boosted Toby Hooper's career and you could see the amount of passion that was in that project um if you're looking for something more of like a martial arts or like kung fu film variety five fingers of death always a good pick again it's it's good at, it was a good appeal to that exploitation of like the martial arts so it's martial arts everywhere throughout the movie uh, and then for the last one on this part of the list it's last house on the left like i said this was a really good introduction for wes craven into the horror uh into the horror franchise and it, it very much like texas chainsaw i found it so unique in its own way because of how much it was willing to dig in it just really didn't pull back the punches on the scares which makes it so much more intense or more intense than the average horror movie you would see these days uh, and then the next list I made was of modern examples of exploitation movies. Now, these are movies that have a vibe of exploitation movies to them, but they're not intent. They weren't intentionally made by the directors to be seen in that way, if that makes any sense. So, like the first one I had was Upgrade, which I was talking about in my last episode for the top movies of 2018. 
really good at blending like the gore exploitation it's really gory and then blending in martial arts as it was going through and the cinematography made it so much more fun with the martial arts as the guy's got like robotic movements as he's fighting people it was really cool and then uh another one is from is uh, green inferno which was directed by eli roth who is a huge 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 fan of exploitation movies i don't know why i don't know why when i said huge it made me think of donald trump just it's huge okay huge i love it huge movie huge uh it's it's really cool and he dives into the cannibal exploitation element with this movie because it is about cannibals but it's it's definitely slightly slightly hardcore compared to the to the those of the old prime of grindhouse but it still brings in like the scary element of like people trapped in this uh trapped in the wild with this indigenous tribe of cannibals so again it's this very unique kind of horror that's more situational than it is like boom right in your face kind of scares it's really cool and then uh another one if you guys love nick cage going bad shit crazy uh drive angry is another good one it's uh it's definitely more on the car exploitation side but uh, it's got – it's another movie where it's fun to see Nicolas Cage being Nicolas Cage. And it also has Amber Heard in it if you guys are fans of Amber Heard. That was – I think it was pretty early on in her career with that movie. And uh, probably fits more into the so bad it's good, but it's still a lot of fun to watch. And then last one on this list is The Babysitter. This one is actually a Netflix original. So you can go on Netflix right now and watch this one. Uh, this one appealed more to the – the teen aspect of Grindhouse where there'd be the movies that were dev- – all the characters were written to appeal to the teenage audience and all of the characters were f- fitting different archetypes. But this one, again, is very aware of what it's doing and kind of makes jokes of those archetypes as it turns them on their head. And that's one with uh, – about this kid who's getting uh, babysat by this girl who runs like a satanic cult in his house. And it it sounds pretty weird, but it gets like weird, and it's good blend of comedy as it goes through. It's got um, it's got Bella Thorne in it, I believe. And uh, again, it's it's got these cool tropes like Bella Thorne plays the cheerleader of their group, so she has like the common stereotypes that you have with it with a character like that. That's like the prim, prim and proper cheerleader character, but they turn it on its head and make it much more comedic than it needs to be. And like they have a uh, I forgot the name of the actor. He's one of the actors from The Flash. Um, one of the guys that played Firestorm, but, uh, he plays like the jock and then the constant joke that they have for him is like, all of a sudden he doesn't have his shirt on in the scene. So somebody's like, why is his shirt off? So it's, it's really cool and it's really funny. And, uh, the last list I have for movies I've watched is, uh, modern grindhouse flicks that are intentionally made to seem like they would be put into a grindhouse. So these are movies that the directors were fully aware of what they were making. They were trying to uh, pay homage to old grind, the old grindhouse era and intentionally make movies that if the grindhouse was still around, then yeah, these movies could get put into them. So examples like Wolf Cop. I don't think I need to say anymore with Wolf Cop. And then uh, there's one with, uh, with Rudger Hauer. This is called Hobo with a Shotgun. And it's another one where I was like, I don't, I don't think I need to say more than hobo with a shotgun. It's, it's, it's own weird thing. It's, it, it's definitely out of all of them. It, it definitely leans into some more disturbing 
scenes than some of the other Grindhouse movies go. But again, it's very self-aware that it's a Grindhouse movie and it doesn't take itself seriously at all, which is very fun. And uh, then there's the Machete movies made by Robert Rodriguez. Again, those are so over the top in the action and in the violence and in all of the dialogue. So it's intentionally made that way. And it's kind of so bad it's good. I wouldn't go I really wouldn't necessarily say that. It's more just a tongue in cheek approach to that genre with all of these cool uh the, all these cool like celebrity characters that are involved with it. That one has a lot of celebrities. And then one of my favorite ones is uh Black Dynamite. It's another one you can catch on Netflix. This one is more of like a parody of grindhouse movies, especially black exploitation films. So it's it makes fun of those kinds of eras and like all the mistakes they would do. It's it's very much like a like an airplane or like Naked Gun if you've ever seen those parody movies. It's like those, but it makes fun of black exploitation and oh my god, it's so funny. And then the last, I saved the best for last because it's my favorite of the modern Grindhouse movies and it's my favorite of all Grindhouse anything, and it's. Uh, the double feature known as Grindhouse, and it was directed by Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez. And uh, Robert Rodriguez directed the first movie in the double feature, which is known as Planet Terror. And that was a really fun and, and, and awesome zombie movie that had uh, Rose McGowan in it. Most people would probably recognize it from the posters when it came out, or Rose McGowan has like a machine gun for a leg. And the, all the scenes that she has the machine gun for the leg are so like cartoonishly over the top, but also super badass. So it's super cool. And then the second half of the movie is direct. Well, the second half of the double feature is a movie directed by Quentin Tarantino called uh, death proof. And it's got Kurt Russell in it. It's got Rosario Dawson. Um, that lady from 10 Cloverfield lane. I can't remember her name, but that one's got quite a few more celebrities in it. Uh, and that one was this cool blend of the slasher flicks. And then it was also a blend of the car chase flicks. Cause at the end of the movie, there's a really, really cool car chase scene where there's like this lady who's on top of the hood of a car while the cars are chasing each other and slamming into each other. And for the action of those scenes, it was real. Like they didn't CGI anybody on, they had a real like stunt woman on, on top of a sports car as they're all slamming into each other and sliding everywhere. It was such a cool action scene. And, Quentin Tarantino wrote uh, Kurt Russell's character so well because his character's named uh, Stuntman Mike or something, and he's a guy obsessed with racing and with cars and with stunts and all this high action stuff. But he creates such a cool and fun villain out of him. I mean, he's not he's not very multi layered as he's created other characters before. He's very pretty much one sided because again, it's poking fun at an era where there wasn't much attention paid to this sort of filmmaking. But it's still so fun to see Kurt Russell be so like charismatic yet so intimidating in his character. And it's it's one of my favorite Quentin Tarantino movies, and that was one of my favorite Quentin Tarantino characters. So I would say above all of these movies, if you're going to watch any of them, watch Grindhouse with Robert Rodriguez's Planet Terror and Quentin Tarantino's Death Proof. If you're still not sure about it, go online and watch the trailer. The trailer's fucking amazing. So... That's all I've got. That took uh, a lot of uh, notes, a lot of movie watching, a lot of research, but I had a lot of fun doing this episode. Thank you all for listening. Um, be sure to follow me on Twitter 
or Instagram at Ghost of Tex. If you guys have any suggestions for any future movies, future genres, future directors, future anything, uh, be sure to just uh, DM me or anything, any suggestions you want, or even if you want to be scheduled on as a guest, be sure to hit me up. Um, have a good week, and uh, I don't know. That's all I got to say. Have a good week, and just enjoy watching movies. <laughs>